This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. We're live, we're ready. Go. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live from AMI headquarters in the center of it all. Holy moly. This. The most genius, unbelievable. Is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic in history. A neutral zone. It's Welcome to it, another edition of the Neutral Zone. I am your host, Mark Richardson. Joined, uh, joining you in Kitchener, joining me in London, is Kelly McDonald. Kelly, how are you? Excellent today, Brock. Uh, had a good addition to Kelly and Company, and really a pleasure. Always a fun time here with you on the Neutral Zone. Expected uh, a great lineup of people to talk to today. Yes, it's going to be a, a jam-packed show. Uh, just give you a quick rundown of... What's going on? We're going to talk to CEO of the Canadian Paralympic Committee, Karen O'Neill, today. And we're also going to talk to Sam Cosentino about the Canadian Hockey League as well. So lots going on. Kelly, before we get into talking about what we are going to talk about, I just wanted to mention that uh, thank you to my crew who have not been on the show in the last little while for retweeting and uh, still doing lots of social media, Cam being at the helm of that. Really appreciate that and uh, glad to see that you're still kicking around even though not so busy these last couple of weeks given our situation. So, um, Having said that though, there are there's uh, the Toronto Raptors playoff run is being rerun on TSN and Sportsnet and there were a couple of things that stood out to me as things that happened that were pivotal. The first one was the Joel Embiid acting like an airplane in game four um, and thinking they were going to go up 3-1, and they did not. Number two was, of course, the shot against the 76ers, uh, game seven, which made them go into the Eastern Conference final. And also... The last one was the Kawhi Leonard saying, we're going to go back to Toronto after being down 2-0 in the Eastern Conference. Those Mm. are my three. Kelly, what about you? I'm only going to go, well, I agree with a couple of those ones, that that last comment particularly. Obviously, we know the buzzer beater. But the other thing I felt was the game against Milwaukee where Van Bleet went out of his mind in the sense of what was going on because everyone talked about that, whether it was people over here who have watched this guy play, knew that what what he could do and coming in and the energy he was bringing and the fact that people in the United States were stopping and saying, well, hold on, this team that we really don't think about, this team that can be kind of forgotten, boy, they're coming on. Unfortunately, injuries always played a part, um, you know, in Golden State, uh, dealing with their series, with Kevin Durant coming back, him hanging over that he was going to be coming out. And when he came out, he certainly came a guns blasting and the unfortunate injury there. You want to see, as the players will say to you, we want to play our opposition at full strength. We want that. None of this, oh, yeah, they were injured. No excuses. We lose to someone. We lost because they were at full strength and good and beat us and vice versa. So that's my moment really, Brock. The one I really loved was Van Pleet. That whole game was a delight. Yeah, it was uh, an amazing run to watch. I mean, I fell into the uh, Kawhi Leonard shot. I have uh, a picture frame of the shot 
that I found in London, Ontario, as a matter of fact, that hangs pridefully in my apartment as I reminisce about the playoff run. And you can catch that for the next few nights, of course. Right now they're in the middle of the 76ers series, and it's going to be going on every night until the playoffs have been seen. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Karen O'Neill, the CEO of the Canadian Paralympic Committee, of all things that have happened in the last week since we've had her on. Stay with us here on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. this program we call The Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I'm your host, Brooke Richardson, coming to you from Kitchener and coming to you from London is the host of Kelly & Company, which you can catch Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern every every week. Um, with that, I'd like to welcome in our guest who may sound familiar if you were with us last week. It's uh, Karen O'Neill, the CEO of this Canadian Paralympic Committee. Karen, welcome back to the program. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me back. Uh, when I said uh, we hope to have you down the line again, I, I'm not sure I was <laughs> yeah. expecting one week later, but there's been lots of news. Uh, with that being said, though, there has been lots of news. Can you get us up to speed on what's happened in the last seven days? Well, thanks very much, and I think that would make two of us. I didn't think it would be quite this quickly that I'd be talking to you again. Um, well, uh, since the past seven, day, uh, past seven days, um, at this time, seven days ago when we last spoke, actually uh, the games were still on, that being both the Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics, and nothing official had been said otherwise to suggest that they wouldn't be on. And um, I think what happened uh, probably uh, in that period, and particularly over last weekend, was just the increasingly clear uh, sense of the safety and health of our Canadian athletes at risk as they continued to train. And uh, with so many of the facilities closed, uh, it became a moral and ethical issue uh, from our standpoint. And so from that standpoint, uh, so many of our athletes, both from a mental uh, health and a physical health standpoint, uh, were really stretched in their capacity to continue their training at the kind of world-class levels that were required to participate in the Games. And um, also, it wasn't only their own safety at stake when they were training, but it was those around them. So I think that uh, that became uh, strikingly clear as we connected more with our sport members and, and the athletes. And then um, heading into the weekend, and actually Saturday uh, became apparent, uh, our sport members, ourselves, that being the CPC and the Canadian Olympic Committee, and many of our, our partners got together and uh, wrote, wrote a letter and uh, we had crafted a letter on behalf of the sport community and the sector here in Canada, which by the end of uh, later day Saturday night, we had intended to press send on Sunday after sharing it with our members, which really was an open letter to the IOC requesting uh, timelines uh, for a decision immediate follow-up. Now, uh, when we all woke up Sunday and with the time difference, uh, the IOC had actually called for an extraordinary meeting of its 
uh, board or its executive committee. And then shortly thereafter, I think it was about mid to late morning, uh, that would be Ottawa time at least, uh, they came out with a recommendation that a task force or a work group would be established to look at uh, some scenarios and some alternatives for postponement of the games and uh, what could happen. Well, when that news came out, uh, the community, because we had already been talking quite a bit over the last uh, couple of days, uh, we decided to come together, um, connected both uh, the COC, the Canadian Olympic Committee, connected with their Athletes Commission, the CPC, the Paralympic Committee. We connected with our Athletes Council and our chair, Tony Walby, and the members. And uh, it it was really striking, uh, particularly with the athletes, and then we moved on to having a discussion with our board and our our sport members that uh, four more weeks of a study was not enough and that we really needed to uh, make more of or have more of an immediate uh, decision so that uh, I'm going to say the decibel level and tension with so many of our athletes and the positions they were in could be brought down and and addressed more directly. So to that end, our letter uh, throughout all the discussions with everybody throughout uh, Sunday afternoon, we were on large conference calls with hundreds of people, uh, including our respective boards, that being the COC and the CPC Board of Directors, so that it culminated in a statement, I'm going to say early Sunday evening, and then the release of a statement uh, probably later Sunday evening at around 9, whereby it was delivered to the IOC uh, stating that uh, a couple of items. Number one, that uh, there would be a request uh, for an immediate indication decision on the postponement of the Games. Uh, The second point was that as it stood for the dates listed for both the opening ceremonies and games of the Olympics and also the Paralympics, that Team Canada would not send either an Olympic or Paralympic uh, team, Canada, as it stood for those dates. So that was the essence of the statement. It was released uh, later Sunday night, and there was a time difference. um, uh, It was delivered in Europe and uh, in, in the games uh, on Monday morning. It's so amazing. It's, it's been a busy week. <laughs> well, yeah, it, and it's amazing to me because when you go listing off the, the series of events and you think about all the conversations that had to happen mm-hmm. with that full knowledge of safety first for our athletes, exactly. for everyone involved, sorry, you guys, this is what's going on. As far as we're concerned, this is what we see and how we have to take it. I'm assuming those meetings, those conversations Sunday were quelling, keeping people on side, but were very swift meetings because so many people were in sync. You know what, you're so right. And I think one of the remarkable items and everybody is reflecting upon at the end of what's been uh, a very intense week, a very emotional week, is that there was clear alignment. Uh, I don't think I've ever witnessed or participated uh, in our Canadian sports system at a time that there was such clear commitment and alignment uh, on what needed to be done. Again, as you stated, I mean, top top of everybody's thinking was the health and safety of the athletes and those around them because obviously they're linking with their family, their friends, and their community. So there was not one question of the importance and how that uh, value or our commitment to ensuring that state intact was clear. I think it was more just tactically uh, how we expressed that, how we would come together on on what that meant, uh, finally culminating in the statement that we released on Sunday night. Now, 
you you've mentioned very clearly that everyone was on board. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe this may have affected athletes? Now, obviously, they're training for, you know, four years, you know, preparing for these games, and then having them obviously not happen. Were they on board, or was there a level of disappointment, if I can use that word? Or was it sincerely, no, this is, this is really good for us, even on an athlete level? Yeah, and... I'm going to say the most predominant reaction and sense was definitely an appreciation that their safety and health was central to the decision um, and I think a sense of relief because to this point, we now have had facilities closed for approximately two weeks by the time we made this decision and if we were to wait for the outcome of the four weeks of the task group that had been indicated on Sunday, that would have been an additional four weeks. So I think that was a really tough reality, especially for so many of the athletes uh, training. I mean, if we're looking at today, opening ceremonies for the Paralympics would have been 151 days from today. So I'm going to say the predominant reaction was relief. Um, our, again, our, our chair, Tony Walby, and our Athletes Council and Shay Smith from the COC uh, Athletes Commission uh, worked really closely with the athletes, and the athletes were so clear. I, I was so impressed with the level of discussion and their commitment that it, it, the, the discussion was about sport and their commitment to health and safety first for everybody, but the more dominant statement that came out throughout all the discussions was their commitment to the impact that this global pandemic was having on our communities and our country, and that this was broader and transcended sport and that we really needed to take this moment in time to pay attention to that first, secondarily with sport, um, and then what that meant. Um, I think the last point I'd, I'd make is there's no question that uh, for many of the athletes there's a level of disappointment because for some athletes, I'm going to say the majority, are, are going to be able to be able to look at how they extend what would be a four-year uh, summer uh, cycle into almost a four-and-a-half, maybe even five-year cycle uh, by the time the games are conducted. But for some athletes, for a number of reasons, that might not be possible. So I, I know there will definitely be a level of disappointment for many, but I'm going to say resoundingly, um, I am, am so impressed with the level of discussion, the commitment to the broader view of uh, being able to look at this as a broader issue that we all need to come together on and then looking at how we work this through as a sport community. Karen, I have to say uh, I really appreciate you know your openness and willing to come on. We've had such support from the Canadian Paralympic Committee here on the Neutral Zone, and, and you've been so gracious with your time. We greatly appreciate it, and uh, we, we do hope to have you on again down the line, uh, but obviously with this decision-making, uh, it's onwards and upwards for the CPC and uh, the Olympic Committee itself. Thank you very much. That was Karen O'Neill, the CEO of the Canadian Paralympic Committee, uh, giving us a very thorough rundown of what had happened in the last seven days. And again, we really appreciate her time and the Canadian Paralympic Committee support of our program. Having said that, another person who is 
very supportive of our program is Sam Cosentino of the uh, CHL on Sportsnet. He's going to come on and tell us what's going on on that beat right after the break here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. the neutral zone here on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I'm your host, Broker Jensen, coming to you from Kitchener. Coming to you from London is Kelly McDonald. We are trying to get a hold of Sam Cosentino. We have yet to do so, but uh, our wonderful technician is doing his work. Um, Kelly, uh, before we start talking about the CHL, I just want to get your feeling. Do you think that the IOC and CPC and everyone involved made the right decision as far as the Olympics and Paralympics? Somebody had to. One of the countries had to say, we're not coming. I, 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 you know, it seems so ridiculous in this time to think that they were holding on for a particular, you know, it's like someone says, is there a particular green you're looking for or a red here to, to call stop or to say go on moving it to another time? And I had to wonder, and we didn't have time to get into it with Karen, not even sure she could answer the the question and uh, really get into it. But I have to wonder how much depended on that first country saying, we're not coming, in the way of clicking in the mechanisms that might have meant, okay, now we're in jeopardy and whatever they needed to do, whether it's to uh, for insurance coverage or, or just keeping face, uh, to me, to be pushed like that makes you look kind of... Well, guys, what truck did it take? You know, to to, to hit to, to clip you to say we can't run this now. We can't do this at this time in this world with everything going on, and our athletes can't even train in most of the cities, towns, whatever around the world. So, I would have liked to have heard if she had any thoughts or ideas about that. Yeah, she she certainly did give us a lot, and we hope to have her on again. We do have Sam Cosentino with us. Sam, how are you? Yeah, doing great, guys. How you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Um, let's uh, jump right into it. Um, the CHL uh, made an announcement that they're going to uh, cancel the rest of their season, and this also being the Memorial Cup. Uh, can you tell the listener how important is the Memorial Cup and the CHL for those people that may be out there going, okay, it's just a hockey tournament? What does it matter? Yeah, well, it's important because it was created originally to honor those who uh, who passed in uh, in World War One, uh, and that's why it's called the Memorial Cup. And you know, it's part of what we do on our broadcast over here is wear the poppies on the first day and the championship game to uh, you know just bring some awareness to those who who had passed and who had uh, given up their lives so that we could live with deliveries that we currently live with so it's an important uh, event in that regard because of what surrounds uh the event um you know and of course it is a hockey tournament it's played by kids that are 16 to 21 years old so you know that that part of it uh without a doubt the decision was right to move forward and cancel it um but it's uh you know it's it's terrible because a lot of people have put a lot of time and effort into not only what they're doing with 
the rest of the regular season games that were remaining, but there was a lot of teams that had hope going into the playoffs and, of course, to to get to the big dance. So there's a lot of kids out there and won't get that opportunity to go and play for a league championship or a, or a national title, and, and I feel for those young men. Cause I want to talk for a moment because we've heard you discuss the concern out there for the small market teams in junior hockey that may not survive through the pandemic. Can you elaborate? Yeah, Kelly, and good uh, good to talk to you. You know, like uh, there are a lot of markets in, in our 60-team league that rely on gates from the regular season. They rely on a couple of home gates and some of uh, the revenues that are drawn from that that go along into the playoffs. And, um, you know, there is a bit of revenue sharing when it comes to any proceeds that might be generated by the by the Memorial Cup for the host league. So, you know, I look at, uh, you know, the Owen Sounds and the Acadie Bathurst and the Swift Currents and the places that are really, really small, and and I wonder how they're going to be able to come out of this thing and, uh, you know, with the financial wherewithal to continue running the major junior franchise. So that is of great concern, no question. Um, you know, the, there still exists the um, the outstanding lawsuit, the minimum wage lawsuit that uh, – you know that's still outstanding. So um, whether it whether it comes to an agreement, a settlement thrown out of court, whatever the case is, there's still I think a lot of funds that have put towards litigating that that thing. So you have to wonder just how many hits that these teams in the smaller markets can take financially and and still be viable. Sam, the the market that comes to my mind uh, when I've heard you talk about this is, is London, of course. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, uh, worried about London. Is is Mississauga? Do you, are they on that list for you of concerned markets? Uh, just yeah, from I'd say Brock. Yeah, fans not being there as often as cities like the poor London, Ontario people that have sellouts yeah. every night. Poor devils. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would say they're definitely a a team that runs. You know, not necessarily on a shoestring, but they're a team that would have a very much a self-imposed uh, budget that isn't like many of the teams uh, in bigger markets. And yeah, Mississauga, uh, if you look at it, is in a big market based on the population of the town. But in terms of the support, it's more of a smaller to mid-market type proposition. So I definitely think they would be one of the teams that would, uh, you know, that you'd have some concerns about here. Uh, moving forward based on the, you know, the budget that they already run on. So again, you know, I don't know, really, I don't know a lot about the logistics of insurance and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, when we look at it, it's out of sight, out of mind. Our national event is out of the national conscience because it's not being played. So there, there are a lot of concerns. Now, don't get me wrong, guys. The decision was was right to make like who would want to send their young kid back into the middle of this crazy pandemic even if it were to subside somewhat substantially at this point you'd still be very concerned about it for a month or even a month and a half down the road so i don't want people to be crying poor and saying oh yeah this guy's talking about missing hockey and he's not worried about the health of people no question that was the right decision and to worry about the health of everybody involved is in is indeed and was indeed the number one priority when all these decisions were made. But when you go on and you talk about, you know, some of the, of what might happen coming out of this and it's nobody's fault, obviously. Uh, but I do believe there are some ramifications that will follow. Sam, time is not our friend. We have to wrap it there. Thank you very much uh, for taking the time to do this interview. And we hope you stay well during this pandemic. 
Take care, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Brock. Yeah, take care, everybody. Thanks, Cal. Take care, guys. That is the end of our show. I'd like to thank Kelly McDonald. I'd also like to thank our technician, Matt Agnew. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen, and our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.